0: Good afternoon, everyone. We have an eclectic group of gentlemen here on ours this afternoon. But there's no better day to bring Doug Campbell-John on here because he is the chief fun officer. And this is Wacky Wednesdays. If it was Thursdays, he definitely wouldn't fit in with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, <laughs> Doug's been uh, an executive with a lot of friends of mine in the uh, Sand Hill Road in the Silicon Valley and has a new... Company founder of Airspeed, uh, and he's bringing fun and engagement back into business. I want to thank the double mics for joining me as well, Michael Unbroken from Columbia, and Michael Diamond rough the dose of uh, positivity, the author of one of my favorite books. Uh, are you at home for once, there, buddy? I oh, am yeah,
1: actually. I just got back from Phoenix, but yeah, I'm home. I'm back.
0: Good to see you. And then look Where who are I you brought. Guys? We're in Hoboken, New Jersey. You should see the view I have of oh. the city. So I was in Orlando <laughs> yesterday. we are got Propelify, which you guys could come and join me next year, uh, doing a little VIP dinner tonight. Silver, so the deep nice. officer is going to be with me. A couple Olympians, uh, maybe even the uh, Einstein of Wall Street, Peter Tushman, several people will be there. And I, I, I think I'll throw Eagle up on stage. What do you think? I would love that he would love that. All right, let's get started. We are here for Office Us. Uh, we had to have you on Wednesday because you are a chief fun officer. A lot of people don't equate fun into business, and it's lost art that people can do their best, learn lessons, and have fun while they're making money. Why do you think we've lost the art of fun and enjoying the activity we get paid for?
2: I think it's Fear. I think, you know, we've obviously the the whole world, especially the U.S. economy, has gone through a lot in the last 12 to 24 months. And I think when people are operating out of fear, they tend to focus on what I call the downstream effects. Like, how do we get profitability? How do we get productivity? The reality is those are just those things. Like if you don't get the upstream stuff right, it's really hard to get the downstream stuff right. And so I always focus on, you know, You know, the winning combination for me is always obviously great people who have a shared sense of mission, really understand what they're trying to get done um, and a sense of connection to each other. And that breeds an environment of trust. And when you've kind of got that environment of trust, you know, you just your language is shorthand. You know, You're, you're not trying to go around somebody or, you know, things just move very smoothly. It's people all rowing in the same direction. And out of that becomes, you know, great productivity and great profitability. Yeah. Craig, do you want to ask?
0: Oh, you want Craig? All right, quick. Yeah, uh, we're next exactly to each other. A audible.
1: Next to each other. Why not just like you know, pass it around? Like, is no way you go?
3: Can you guys hear me? Okay, <laughs> I sound great.
0: Looks
3: yep. great. Okay, okay, yep. great. Uh, Doug, first of all, it's great to connect with you. I love what you're doing. I know that with what you're up to now, you put a big emphasis on celebrating the employees. I think that's really special. Why is that so important for you?
2: Well, I've always been kind of a a culture junkie. Um, I started my career at Apple, which was a great, you know, kind of people-centered culture. Uh, Went in a number of startups. My last startup was acquired by LinkedIn, which is also a really well-run company. Um, And I got to see it from the inside. Um, And I think that for me, all the things that I was doing when we were together face-to-face, I felt like when we were remote, needed software to help it. Um, So I'll give you some examples. Like we used to um, introduce, take new employees to lunch, right? And we'd all sit around the table. We'd ask them five questions, you know, some would be most embarrassing moment, first concert, stuff like that. And it was great for everybody who was at that lunch. For the person getting interviewed, they had no idea what the questions were, the answers were for all the other people around the table. And anybody else who wasn't at that lunch or joined later in the company never got to hear any of it. So we have an app intros, it's in, you know, we have a, this family of Slack apps. So intros now is as soon as you join the Slack workspace, you get asked a set of questions, you get to go, everybody gets to go see uh, your answers. You get to go see the answers of your teammates. It's just a much more effective way to go do it. Um, so I, I think there are these moments of culture from when you recruit somebody all the way to when you let somebody go or somebody leaves the company that are all opportunities for you to either uh, increase or decrease that person's connection with the company. So going off that,
1: you, you were the VP at one stage of LinkedIn. In that position, mm-hmm. you know, you have to deal with a lot of stuff. Then you take that position and you make that pivot. How much pivoting was it? I mean, because, it, you know, LinkedIn's a big company and going from a VP position mm-hmm. and then and starting over, how how much of the pivot
2: was it? You mean going from a large company to a small company?
1: Well, it, it, there's a lot of rules, for example, at LinkedIn and you're the VP, and then you have to transition in, into that, you know, it, it's a different, it's a different area and, and you've got to yeah. kind of change hats, right? Cause some people come in as the VP and they try to run it the way another company was running, it doesn't work. So you've got to learn to, you know, about emotional intelligence. So how did you pivot that? Yeah. Cause
2: most people can't do that. Yeah. They can't change hats. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, we were a 30 person company when we got acquired and suddenly I'm in a 10,000 plus person company. And you're right, like everything moves a little slower. There's a lot more meetings. There's a lot of other things that you, you have to kind of adapt to. But I think the, the the fundamentals are still the same, right? How do you obviously find great people, give them the shared sense of purpose, communicate well. In fact, one of the big aha moments for me when I joined LinkedIn was watching Jeff Weiner, who was the CEO at the time, um, what an amazing job he did at cascading communications. So in an organization of that side, he was very deliberate about, hey, here's every single meeting we had, every two weeks we had an all-hands meeting. Every time the mission of the company is repeated. Um, every time we've got an opportunity to cascade, here's our goals for the year, here's our goals for the quarter. You know, I would hear the same messages being repeated in meetings and cascaded throughout the organization what you want to be able to do is hold up a microphone to anybody in the company and say, what are we trying to accomplish this year? Or what's the goals of the company? That takes a lot of deliberate effort. And I think what COVID taught us was you can't just leave culture to bumping into each other in the cafeteria or, you know, having a beer on a Friday. You've got to be as deliberate with thinking about all these moments of connection as you do these moments of communication.
0: It's My biggest matter. transition, Mike, was going from meetings about. About meetings that won't piss me off I'm like we <laughs> yeah. have meetings about a meeting we're about to have I would rather just shoot myself <laughs> exactly yeah. that, that's what you know you're shooting yourself I'm going yeah. down yeah. in Columbia michael Umbrogan. <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ
4: <laughs> doug I'm gonna ignore David Melcher for a moment and jump into my question uh I'm very curious you know you think about this this trickle-down leadership effect and the importance of it especially when it comes to community and I think one of the really unfortunate parts about the the disconnection in, uh, in in really just business today everyone being virtual and as often not really being able to hold space for each other in appropriate ways as leaders. Like, how do you show up every day for your team in a way that gives them the space, whether virtual or sitting right next to you, to to feel appreciated, to be seen, to be heard? Because we all know the, the number one thing that causes people to leave a position is lack of significance and acknowledgement. So how are you rectifying that or working through it in your company?
2: Yeah, it's it's actually something that I've had to um, really work on because I'm always somebody like if I was going for my own personal annual review and you said here's ninety nine things you crushed, Doug, and here's the one thing you'd work on, I ignored the ninety nine things, I just focused on the one, and so I'm very you know it, it actually took years of work for me to be like oh no, that's right, I have to remember to give people recognition. So I'll <laughs> give you another example of kind of real world versus you know virtual world. So. At LinkedIn, uh, we would do this thing called go around the table and it was called shout outs and personal wins. And so you go around the room and you give a shout out to a person in the room or a team outside the room, whatever it was, for something that they had done in the last week. Oftentimes, you're giving recognition to somebody who's not in the room, so they don't even hear it. It's kind of silly that way. Um, And then the personal wins could be like, yeah, I I just got a new puppy or, you you know, we had a baby or something like that. And, you know, it's just my verbal description. Problem was you have 15 people or 20 people in the room. That's like half the meeting. That's like a half an hour to go around the room. So we actually have a couple of apps now. One is Shoutouts. And like you can probably tell, I love building products. And, and a lot of this stuff was like, what do, what do I want for myself? Um, so Shoutouts is an example where, yeah, I can go give you know somebody direct recognition. But the features that I wanted were If somebody wants me to give recognition, they can pose a recognition to me. So they can pose a shout out. So let's say my VP of engineering had an engineer who just kicked ass over the weekend. He could give that recognition directly. But he's like, you know, what? That would be more effective coming from Doug. He can basically say, here's what Alan did. You know, here's the impact. Here's the company values it represented. It gets forward to Mm -hmm. me in Slack. I can put it into my voice and then I look like I'm really sensitive and a a very in tune leader um, and I'm giving recognition. Um, another example was, you know, for the, uh, for the personal wins, um, we now have this app called icebreaker. So 24 hours between, before our weekly company meeting, I get a Slack message that says, what's a personal win for you from last week. I go into my phone, I attach a photo or a video of something that I just did. I spend five minutes tops in the beginning of our meeting, going through a whole bunch of posts that people had. And I've learned more about people that I've worked with for a decade in the last six months about their personal life. That I had in those previous 10 years. So, you know, I think there is there's you can do all this stuff in the real world, even if we're in the virtual world, if, if you're doing it over Zoom. But there are I think tools make you, you know, kind of give you that Iron Man suit to be a better manager and a better leader.
0: I'm gonna steal that one, Doug. In fact, Reluca's our producer, she's gonna take notes and make sure we put shout-outs and personal wins on my options for topics for Mondays at my Monday morning meeting. So uh, thank you so much. Once again, free MBA for a day here on Office Hours with the double mic, my man, the Eagle, and especially Doug Campbell-John. Doug, we'd love to have you on our other shows as well. You're a wealth of knowledge and congratulations uh, on airspeed get airspeed.com five new slack apps focused in on connecting and rewarding people incredible it's amazing engagement and productivity are two of the things that we must focus in on if we can just get past that 87 percent of the people that work on engaged imagine productive we could be Uh, it's an amazing advancement for all business and in their personal lives as well uh doug promise us you'll come back we really love to have chief officer in the in the group i will thanks for having me awesome thanks, thank you all right well the producers here put the right guy in the right place that's for sure because would not fit in on the other shows <laughs> he's awesome uh, speaking of having fun i'd be terrified to be gavin right now but he's going to come on <laughs> gavin liras here co-founder of the empathy firm so at least that going for us uh empathyfirm.com. <laughs> He's the co-founder of this PR firm. Welcome to the Wacky Wednesday officers from around the world. How are you, Gavin?
5: I'm doing great. Happy to be here. And yeah, happy to help however I can.
0: Awesome. Oh, I'm, you are because I was reading through stuff about your firm and about you, and I saw uh, something that really resonates with me. I talk about quantitative value all the time. Something I don't see uh, PR firms focusing in on is tangible ROI. Uh, I find, you know, there's a lot of subjective value uh, given by PR firms mainly, but yet you seem to have created a great way and a strategy to quantify a tangible ROI. Uh, Give me some idea on how you're able to do that when so many different PR firms suffer uh, from objectivity to subjectivity.
5: For sure. Well, first, I think... I appreciate you asking that because it's funny. A lot of times if I'm, essentially someone's asking me a question, a lot of people notice that about what we do and how we have a way to actually track ROI. And the way we found that was from interviewing all our clients, um, just asking them what they loved and what they hated. The things that they hated is they're like, this is cool, but I wish it was like Facebook ads where you could see a little ROI thing or whatever it may be. And that really made me think, I'm like, well, how can we do this? What's the closest thing we can get to it? Because obviously it's not going to be Facebook ads, whatever it may be. So what we did is we call it uh, the bottom of the barrel tracking strategy. And what that looks like is simply every client we work with, typically um, they're B2B businesses that are service based. We have them essentially integrate in their system with people that they're onboarding a survey that's very similar to something you might see if you sign up for a software, um, which is essentially an attribution survey of, hey, where'd you hear of us, etc. And it's a lot more in depth than we make sure that each client actually fills it out, because um, the reality is, you know, if you have the survey and you send it over to them they're going to get like a 10% response rate, something really low if you're just sending over that email. So a lot of times we teach them how they can integrate that in their onboarding and literally screen share with the clients that they're working with and have a conversation about where they actually saw them, what their journey was like before signing up. Because I think a lot of people know that if you get a great testimonial, you put on your website, it has value. The question is how much? And that's the same with PR a lot of times. So that was the way that we were really able to not provide an exact number, but get a much better grasp on how effective these things were actually having before signing up. And that's also why we only focus on people that sign up after that is because that's the best data. Um, If you can focus on more of those people, obviously, that's where you want to spend your time optimizing for more of.
3: This is great. Uh, Kevin. it's great to connect with you. I love what you're all about. I love what you're doing. I noticed that it's not just enough for you to help your clients secure podcasts and media placements. You have to call them into doing a great job and delivering when they're being interviewed and so forth. And that sometimes is all the difference. Is that right? You help people become a guest, so to speak? Yeah.
5: So it's interesting. A lot of people's hesitations towards even coming on podcasts or putting out content on social media aren't just um, – thoughts that this might not work for me, et cetera. It's that I might not be good at these things. So we actually have someone on staff that ha- is experienced with media training. Uh, but the funny thing is we blend that with what I like to just call being real. Because the reality is if you're media trained for every answer, it actually leads for a way worse podcast than my experience. You, you want a general framework of how to think about things and communicate and almost practice with that. But we just help them unravel more of what's inside at the end of the day and just be confident in that delivery.
0: And before Mike, uh, would you suggest, you know, taking a ton of mushrooms or ayahuasca before an interview? (laughs) I
5: personally have never done it, but you know what? It was wacky Wednesday, Gavin. Yeah. I was about to say it would be an experience.
0: This
4: guy. That's why I don't tell you my secrets,
0: David. <laughs> look at Mike Diamond. Mike Diamond can't even laugh because he's a recovery expert. He's like – No, I'm just trying to think
1: don't. if I've ever done any mushrooms on an interview. I'm just like – made me chip out for a second. Like, have I ever like, taken five grams of mushrooms for an interview? Like, <laughs> or done ayahuasca? Well, I'll do it.
0: I'll do it i look like dragons now. I'll try it. I'm fine. But go ahead, Mike Diamond.
1: <laughs> so That's so great empathy PR you can't get better than that so the PR games change so much and you know there's a lot of pay to play so how do you keep how do you navigate that with authentic stories people not just you know buying like because anyone can write anything these days and pay for press and put stuff out and so how do you navigate that so it is authentic and people are telling the truth and then their stories are all you know on point
5: for sure so it comes down to a few different things the first thing is the way that we operate with our clients typically is we actually get someone on a podcast because typically the founders that we work with are super busy. So they'll spend anywhere from two to four hours you know, a month going on a podcast. Um, and then from there, we have the transcript where we essentially have our writers come in look it over. They can repurpose right from what they're actually sharing um, to write about. But the reality is, you know, there's a big debate in the PR space amongst like earned media versus paid media or anything in between. I think as long as people are being truthful on what they're doing, paid media is fine. The reality is though, like, like the it goes back to being truthful. I think we've seen, especially marketers and more sophisticated markets, things like just press becoming a lot less um, essentially effective because a, a lot of people know that a lot of it's pay to play, especially if it's a press release or whatever it might be, um, which is why we primarily focus on getting people on podcasts. And then repurposing the content in like vertical style for like shorts and stuff from that, just because that's where we see there being more benefit benefits for people. However, there still is benefits, uh, especially for we write for multiple publications. So just being able to publish things quickly for our clients and then they can send it out to their you know, prospects that might be on the fence and say, hey, actually, we just got featured about blank that we were talking about last month, whatever it might be, it can reignite conversations. There's a lot of ways to do it. But unfortunately, there's not a perfect answer. A lot of it is just needing to first work with people that are actually trustworthy clients and good people.
4: Yeah, agree with that. And Gavin, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, there's a handful of people who are super media trained that will never see the light of day that I started a podcast with because uh, authenticity and getting to the root core of someone is ultimately the goal, I believe, every time I sit down with someone, oh, speaking oh. of looking at the way that AI is shifting and the ability for us to go and create basically anything almost instantaneously. How are you integrating AI into the brand? And more importantly, how is that beneficial for your clientele?
5: Yeah, I get excited over AI. It's crazy. Um, and I know in the marketing space, it's been very convoluted. And there's just been so much noise about it over the past however many months. But some specific use cases of how we use it. Um, would be I talked about earlier how writers get that transcript. A big thing they're doing is identifying sections in there where there's tactical advice and then literally copy and pasting those sections into ChatGPT and having that write a PR worthy article on that and getting, you know, about eh, 85, 80% of the way there. Um, And then just proofreading. So I believe I heard Gary V say this first, but really what it's done for a lot of our writers is it's turned instead of spending 80% of their time creating and 20% um, editing, it's really flipped it. And now a lot of them are spending 80% of their time editing. Uh, So their output has really increased because of that and there's a lot of other ways that we use it too like there's a tool called video.ai there's another one called Git munch both are really great tools for uploading a long-form video and for what they're worth getting good short-form content um, out of that and yeah then also the, the cool thing is if you really want to take it deep we do this for some clients but we found most people actually don't want to get this involved You can also go and literally have it write tweets based off the things you say, LinkedIn posts based off the things you say. And this is where it's cool, in my opinion, is taking a transcript that you've already said and then using AI with that. Because the problem with AI, if I say, make me a post on how to get booked on a podcast, it's going to come up with some generic information. That's probably good info, but it's not authentic to me. But if I go on a podcast, teach our process that we actually use, take that actual transcript and tell Chat. ChatGPT just to reformat it to be essentially a LinkedIn post. Now it's authentic to me because that's my legitimate advice, which is essentially what we've been doing um, for people. And that's always been our approach to it instead of just using it to create something they didn't say.
0: Yeah, zero to one used to take longer than one to a hundred. Now we've sped up the zero to one process through AI. And, uh, you know, I think if you could repeat those two solutions for our community uh, to try out uh, what were the again? For sure. So the ones that I would recommend is if you're on a
5: podcast, you can easily repurpose it by putting it into something like um, Munch. It's called Get Munch or Video.ai. And then if you have that transcript, it could be from that or you could literally film yourself on your phone talking about stuff. Like whenever I write an article, I don't write it. I speak it. And then I put it into Chat GPT and I tell it, make this into an article. Then I edit it. Same thing with a lot of posts I have. I'm not the best at creating posts. I'm good at the hooks. And I like the body to be typically created by AI, but it's done through my actual words and transcript, not just some generic advice that the machine came up with.
0: Yeah. And the more dummy accounts that you have and upload more content to, you can actually add the additive to the content that says, as if I were Gavin Lira, co-founder of the empathy firm, or as if I was Michael Umbro, mind genius, body, soul healer, or Mike diamond period. Anyway, great to have you again. It was great to be on your former podcast, there, The Future of Millionaires. Yeah. Now I gotta go on the future of billionaires because you're so rich. <laughs> but anyway, Gavin Lira, co-founder.
5: Yeah, I was just gonna say I was wondering if you remembered that, but it was awesome coming on. Oh,
0: yeah. That was about three years ago, but I, yeah. I remember how can I forget a gorgeous face like that? Anyway, <laughs> welcome to wacky Wednesdays. We're here on office hours with the eagle and two mics. Uh we're gonna have fun. Come back and visit us soon. Thank you. Again. Great advice, awesome buddy. coming on, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next time, let's make the mark. Mark Donaghan here, company builder and marketing consultant, waiting patiently in the wings. To welcome to Office Hours. It's Wacky Wednesday, so don't be scared. Don't be afraid to have fun. Oh, and don't be afraid to unmute yourself. Mark, muted. Somebody.
6: hey that's good that's about the most rookie mistake you can make right you'd think it's the first time i've done this (laughs) it's so good
0: right i i I like the virtual speech like there was one i was doing in israel and i couldn't believe that people would pay me that much money to do a virtual speech and you know video the welcome everything's kind of better virtually and then they're like welcome to the stage david Meltzer." (laughs) Uh, Oh, I'm a a professional. uh, Yeah, that's right. It happens to the best of us, and you at least uh, are well-equipped to have fun with us. And uh, Growth is a big part, and uh, growth and marketing Mm -hmm. are reconciled together, and a lot of people uh, may not understand how marketing does contribute to growth, and there's always a friction between sales and marketing and the growth that occurs. Uh, yeah. But you work as a virtual CMO and yeah. help really empower companies to understand the importance of growth stage marketing. Uh, Some of the key mistakes you see uh, from these startup businesses as you're one of the best consultants and work with so many different companies to help them with their go to market framework.
6: Yeah. So, just for super quick context, I work with um, pretty much exclusively technical founders that started their company from uh, you know some sort of a core technology innovation, technology invention. Um, so these are folks that are they're they're doing stuff that's generally pretty hard. Um, the biggest fallacy. Uh, that we have to overcome and at the point that I get engaged is that because they really did build something significant whether it was stated or not they had the either my invention is so great the world's going to beat a path to my door you know or it's so obvious this needs to exist that if you build it they will come and Oftentimes, these founders get hoodwinked a little bit because they do get some initial early adopter traction. Maybe they very quickly scale. You know, they land a couple really um, sizable logos. They scale to $5 million and, you know, voila, they're already out shopping, you know, for, uh, for, for the yacht, right? All of a sudden, sales just grind to a halt. You know, revenue grinds to a halt. No one wants to return their phone call. And they're going, but what happened? <laughs> you know, I got here and now I can't grow it. And so, you know, really the, the biggest challenge uh, that, that I think we all, and it's a little bit humbling, you know, to be frank, is to step back and say in all of our respective businesses, you know, unfortunately, rarely being the best um, is what's going to dictate who's the market leader you know, at least initially. And so then the question is, well, what does dictate? And it really gets down to executing on what I really prefer to call go-to-market because go-to-market to me is the whole summation of marketing, how you present products, how you talk about yourself, your messaging, as well as how you sell, you know, strategies and tactics behind that.
3: Yeah, I love this market. It's great to connect you're so good at capturing attention and educating and engaging. And I know it's not by coincidence. You You have a a four pillar framework and I'd love to find out a little bit more about that and have that set up. Yeah,
6: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's really, um, um, the way again, because today, um, uh, attention, buyer attention is so fragmented. And, you know, there's just so much competing, right? All the various social networks and, you know, all of the groups that we're a part of, email, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's really interesting how if we if we rewind and we look back like 10 20 years ago in the B2B buying process um, for many types of products and industries, the vendor was kind of in control. And, um, you know, again, I come out of technology, IT. 25 years ago, you know, dates me a little bit, but even 20 years ago, um, if I needed a significant up update, upgrade in my network, I, re- I had to go chase the Cisco sales team. I had to as the buyer and I might have millions of dollars in my disposal, but I had to go chase them. And in some cases, even sort of make the case of why they should meet with me this month and not, you know, in 45 days, 60 days. Boy, has that changed you know, across the board, because now buyers are making decisions uh, as much peer-to-peer, talking to colleagues. There's so many ways that they're getting information, and information is ubiquitous. So I created kind of a framework, which is very simple on the surface to understand. Um, It's simple to execute, and yet I find so many marketing teams aren't doing it. And the framework really starts with this. You're moving people through four gates. You know, it's kind of how I like to think about it. And so the first thing is, if you think about the market is you have to capture their attention. And um, this is, you know, even just starts with like, we even exist, you know, which if you're a startup, if you're in the earlier stages, you're just trying to like even make people aware of you. But if you have a little bit more longevity, people may know you exist. Maybe they forgot about you. You know, that can happen to some companies, especially companies with longer legacies or longer heritages who have reinvented themselves, maybe really viable, but the market sees them as they were 25 years ago, right? So you have to capture the attention of the buyer and then you're moving them through or just the market, if you will. And then the next gate is education. And education today is really the essence, in my view, of what marketing is all about. You know, the old, I'm um, better, faster, cheaper, let me give you the three bullets and, you know, click here to schedule an appointment. Those approaches, just flat do not work today so much of the buying process is happening unaided from the vendor and I saw some really interesting numbers from Gartner which I've written about is that somewhere around greater than 50% of the buying process or the buying journey happens before the buying committee even contacts a vendor for a meeting and you know you can think about how profound that is that means by the time that i'm in my sales team is in front of a customer the good news is we're probably on a very short list because we're there the bad news is if i'm not in that room in other words if i wasn't selected the odds of me suddenly getting into the buying process are really, really slim. I have a steep uphill climb because the buyers have already done more than 50% of the work. You know and and they're probably not going to put it all on pause you know while they catch up with with a with new option so this whole educate idea is so critical because i need to make it as a marketer so that someone who's in a buying committee is going to be able to self-educate they can get the information they need and then that takes me to the third gate because obviously we don't just want them to be consumers of information at some point we need them to engage Now, um, what I find is that, uh, you know, there's a huge emphasis on get me leads, right? You know, get me leads, get me meetings. My sales team needs meetings. And, you know, a lot of times when I get contacted by a founder or by a CEO, you know, at the core, that's what they're saying. You know, Mark, I feel like, you know, we've got good people in marketing. You know, I don't necessarily think we need to replace them, but I'm not getting enough meetings. I'm not getting enough leads and you must have the magic button you know, is is what the inference is. Well, engagement starts with even something as simple as maybe I've got all ungated content on the website except for one piece that's sort of my marquee, you know, really something that there's super value in. They engage by agreeing to give me an email address. Maybe give me some contact information. Maybe do something where they are giving up now something that can be useful for me, you know, in a lot of different ways. And of course, it can go all the way to, you know, they they call and they request a meeting. You know, hey, I, I would. I would like to get a demo of your product. I want to sit down with your sales team. When can we meet? So there's that engagement gate. And then you notice I haven't use the word like conversion or close because too many processes want to jump from the capture their attention to like (laughs) sell them something. (laughs) You know, it's like just skip all those steps. And in the conversion step, which is the fourth gate or the convert step as I like to call it phase, um, that again can be as simple as I have converted them to be willing to even accept a meeting invite to be willing to have me come on site to be willing to take one of their engineering team members and get with my engineering team who supports our pre-sales engagements and have a serious discussion and lay out a framework for how they're going to evaluate the product the technology etc and those four gates are 100% required and they largely have to happen in that sequence or else it's just a house built on sand. You know, one final comment is that this is a flywheel. Sometimes you have to go around multiple times before you get to closed one in terms of, you know, a PO. So it's not like it's step one, step two, step three, step four. Hey, when are we going to close? You know, how quickly are we going to get the business, get the PO, et cetera?
0: I think you're absolutely right, and um, we're gonna have to have you back as well. I love this show because it's like, Kate. Tell me about your entire life. We're gonna give you the next two minutes. Good luck. Um,
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, this is great. I love it. <laughs> four, Jump four right in.
0: To, right, we got four more steps to go round and round. Uh, uh, we're gonna start the next guest with the mic uh, instead of us. But uh, Mark, we have a lot of different shows in a lot of different places to learn about understanding how growth does occur today which is different than it used to be and check out Marketing if you're wondering how we have a revenue-centered approach a good market framework in order to effectuate making more money helping more people and having more fun check out Mark Donovan Donegan he is the expert and he's available for you too as well just go to growthstage.marketing, come back and join us it's wacky wednesday we'll put you on serious thursdays next
6: sounds good thank you <laughs> thank all you
0: right. great advice we're gonna MBA for the day here me and the eagle in hogan new jersey and the double mics all over the world uh but next on the mic
7: uh, whoa i'm dropping my mic <laughs> You tough mic Good thing i got two mics over there
0: <laughs> as if we haven't learned enough today uh you know i feel like i'm hanging out with my brothers and my sister uh there's so much academic prowess uh joining us on wacky wednesday i think they got it mixed up they put him on Thursday. uh but dr pradeep kumar Stasidaren, he is the Whoa. CEO and founder of. Is that close enough? I'm that's a, good. Interested. That's a good.
7: That's a good try. I like that. It was, wasn't it?
0: Well, you know, you've lived an extraordinary life, and I imagine that your parents very much like mine, uh, because you don't go to schools like the ones that you've gone to and pushed into an extreme academic position. Uh, it's just remarkable what you've learned, and also as a professor yourself. Uh, What was it that, you know, as a refugee of war and a teenage gangster has led you to the finest institutions in the world uh, to become a PhD, I believe, in molecular and cellular medicine and some other non-complex features of things that you might or may not know? Uh, But imagine that your parents have had a great influence on your educational prowess.
7: Um, Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the um, invite. (laughs) To be honest with you, I, I'm very honest. My parents didn't have any any input. Um, uh, they were not educated as much. Um, so, you know, it's in a naive way, it's good because I had so much freedom to learn on the go mm-hmm. when I was young. Um, wow. Unfortunately, I was around bad people. Um, so I learned bad things. Um, so I got into a gang fight, pretty serious one at 21. Got into a coma, got hit on the head. Woke up. By the way, I didn't see God or angels, anything like that. <laughs> I woke up and I was like, hey, I need to change my life. And I made phone calls. Um, I learned sales uh, from a drop dropout. I just I was working in shoe shops, um, getting money, uh, day-to-day paychecks. And I learned sales and I learned that it's a numbers game. So I just started phoning community colleges. And one woman said, hey, um, come in. I just put my head down. I got a scholarship to, to do a master's. I had 13 calls to get a scholarship to get a master's. Then I made 47 calls um, to get a scholarship to Oxford for a PhD. And at Oxford, I became um, the first scientist in history to discover a drug and become a European, British, and American scientist in 2017. So I went from dropout to Oxford in four years. Then at Harvard, I was a Fulbright scholar in six years. And that's all phone calls, by the way, if young people are watching. Just phone calls and a, a passion to do what I do. And then... They said to me, hey, this is a great CV, kid, but you can't do all this stuff you dream of. It will take 30 years. So I said, okay, what do I do very well? I make phone calls. So I made 232 <laughs> phone calls, and one guy picked up in China. He said, come over. So I finished all my PhD um, at 27, got out of Harvard at 28. I went to China with no English, no Chinese, uh, a bit of limited English, as you can see. And then I landed and I became associate professor and vice president by 30, where everyone else on my kind of age bracket was still trying to do, work out what they're going to do. So I went from dropout to all this at 30 and I said, the system's all wrong here. I'm not listening to anyone anymore. I'm going to do what I do and I'm just going to go for it. And during the pandemic, I was in China. And again, remember, it's a numbers game. And so I got locked down and everyone was lockdown and i turned up to this hotel where foreigners can eat and they said to me oh you can only come to this hotel to eat you can't go anywhere else i'm like all right cool all i see david i see all these chinese men on laptops and i was like hey hey um what do you guys do because you're meant to be on lockdown and they're like we own factories and we control the city so we can do whatever we want so what do i do i'm like this is a numbers game let me see your numbers because by that time i had done biotech business development i moved from academia to biotech now and they said to me, Hey, uh, we do 400,000 a day, 200% ROI. I'm like, What do you sell? Toys, paper clips, um, cardboard boxes, storage. I'm like, Where do you sell this stuff? On Amazon, e commerce. I'm like, What's that? I'm a scientist, right? By new numbers and business development. So I started hustling. I never lost the hustle. So in the day, I used to be vice president and professor. At night, I used to write Amazon customer reports in English and translate this for these Chinese factories. And that's how I learned Amazon and e-commerce. I learned on the hustle at, at night. And then, thank goodness I learned that because when I came back to the UK during and at the end of the pandemic, they said to me, hey, kid, you're 32, your CV is amazing. Now you're overqualified. We can't make you vice president like in China. This is the West. You've got to wait 20 years of experience. I'm like, to the hell with this, you know? Um, there's no ego here. So I quit, I started my own e-commerce business. We turned into eight figures in uh, two and a half years, uh, selling a variety of commodities. Um, so I still use the science and background, but it's, 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 the, it's the childhood hustle and keep going. I say no, it's a numbers game, a sales game, and a risk game. We just started buying companies uh, and we're raising more investments now. So it's been a it's been a very uh, interesting 37 years on life. So yeah, just don't listen to anyone and just keep going. And I, I'm I'm really worried about the system because uh the system and the data tell a lot of people you can't do a lot of things. And we shun a lot of people's talents because we don't get certain grades or certain position by a certain time. Um so yeah, I'm kind of a I try to call myself a serial dropper. I dropped out a lot of things in that
0: love it Mike.
1: i mean your story is incredible the one thing i have to ask so you you had the epiphany when you went in the coma uh
7: no after afterwards when i woke up afterwards I, I know, after when you wake up yeah yeah
1: but i'm saying afterwards yeah. but to be so savvy and, and get into trouble because i've broken every rule as well when i came from australia to get to america were you book smart as a kid and you just, do you just make bad choices because you're disempowering choices? Because the way you've you've got the hustle and the book smart is really rare. It's hard to yeah. get a PhD and make Great 200 point. phone calls. That doesn't, that doesn't exist in people. They're like, well, it'll come. I've got the PhD. Do you know what I mean? So we're, we're, there, there's something brilliant about you in both areas. You're a savage in both areas. Very rare.
7: I, I call it lazily intelligent. Uh, and I'm being very serious. And I tell my kids, uh, I tell my students, I don't have any kids yet, to be lazily intelligent. So hey, I've got this grand ambition. What's the easiest and quickest way to get there? Because I only got sixty years. Probably by sixty, my you know, my private phone work, my testosterone's down. By 60, I won't be doing much anyway. Oh, shit. So, I'm 55. Start so jacking yourself
1: up with TRT. You, you better come down here to Columbia
4: and get some stem cells, David. <laughs> yeah, I, I,
7: I'm, you know, I'm being I'm very, very raw. And like, I'm, I'm I hope my stupid. wife's
0: not listening to this. I,
7: I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Like, a lot of high IQ people just, you know, again, I'm like, how quickly can I do it? And the quicker it is, it's a numbers game. And I learned that as a child. Like, how quickly can I hustle? To meet new people to get to my goals so yeah that's what it is and i'm to the to your point i've never been book smart i liked history and science but i never got the grades but it's just again by the way little things i my friend best i said he remembers he keeps telling me you're not the smartest but you got the way so we had an assignment and i know this is a hard assignment i'll go and network with people one or two years above me and said how did you tackle this assignment i need to know Uh, because I knew that the lecturers and the professors were lazy and they won't change assignment every year. So I kind of worked people out and kind of worked reverse engineered. So I don't know if I was book smart, but I, I was that kind of street hustle and never give up. And by the way, I do lectures now around the world and I tell people there's the Oxford Harvard Pradeep and there's the streets Pradeep. The streets Pradeep is always making the big risk in business. At the Oxford, Harvard, you know, you get analyzed, you get paralysis by analysis, too much data and stuff. So it, it's how you balance that as well. I hope that answered your question.
0: Amazing! No, great answer. Shiz up, Michael. We're gonna. The eagle's gonna watch. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Pretty. This is absolutely phenomenal. Like you, I grew up wrong side of the tracks, no high school diploma, kicked out of high school multiple times. Made my first million by the time I was twenty-five. Uh, and, you know, I've been able to build a really incredible life, partly because of some of the men in this room with us right now. How important is your network in your community? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you don't call 200 people without knowing a couple of them, right? So how important is networking and community in your growth, especially with looking at life through this different scope and consideration of where you came from?
7: So, I look... Uh... Michael, I don't want to sob story, but my network wasn't very good because I was around gangsters and most of them ended up in prison or dead. I'm being very serious, right? So, again, I couldn't go to my parents and migrants. So, what I did was, I I don't know if you guys have it in States. It's called Bright. It's like what's happening yeah. in the yeah. I just booked everything. Uh, every event and I just attended free events and started talking to people and then I just add them on LinkedIn oh by the way everyone listening we just had 2280 something rejections on LinkedIn um, until we got the first investor on board for one of our ventures so again it's a networking numbers and just turning up I'm still turning up and still getting kind of humiliated laughed at and the biggest thing is to turn off the ego because you know at this stage, you've got to say, "Okay, Oxford or Harvard doesn't matter. It's just again getting the money." Or, "Oh, this matters here." So it's it's the network, but how, the raw ability to work out what you need uh, and who you need it from.
0: Yeah, they will laugh at you, scoff at you, make fun of you. Then we'll applaud you. There's nothing like old school. Pick up the phone and ask. And my friend, and I'm going to try to butcher his name one more time. Doctor Pradeep Kumar saucy is that, that
7: some some say ah
0: Saucy-daran. thank you so much ceo and founder of dornhill come back and visit us your stories are incredible no your love achievements love are even more unbelievable thank you you're incredible man i'm gonna have to re-watch myself uh the fastest way to get to where you want to be is to ask the people that are already there for directions in your proof in the pudding. Thanks for joining us on All Hours.
7: God bless you all. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Great stuff. All right. Round the horn real quick. I'm going to start with Craig, the Eagle Seagull, who's going to be speaking this evening uh, here at Propelify's VIP dinner. He buttoned his shirt just for the occasion. What is your takeaway of the day, Mr. Seagull?
3: To be honest, the last guy, uh, Doctor Pradeep, really moved me. I, I just love his story. No excuses. Pick up the phone. Make stuff happen. Um, I, I don't know that guy's story. I just think that's relatable to everyone. Uh, anybody could do that, but will they? That no. one stuck out.
0: Awesome. Go King Abowei down in Colombia. What's your takeaway for the day?
4: Yeah, oh my God. Um, <laughs> here's my thought, dude. Like I think about this a lot, and <laughs> <laughs> what? He's what? Eyes what, eyes what smile. You know what, We're going to have a meetup VIP dinner in Colombia. Uh, I got a place that we're going to go. I can't tell you about it right now, though. Um, uh, cool. And so, <laughs> Doug, Doug Campbell, John, amazing because as leaders, we have to remember to celebrate the people who help us accomplish our dreams. And we don't do that enough. I mean, David, I know that you're amazing. You don't do it enough. Craig doesn't do it enough. Mike doesn't do it enough. I don't do it enough. And it's like, we, we've got to be better about that on a daily, weekly, and momentary basis.
1: Well, Dave, before I say, imagine if he, he didn't realize he was, like, live and he had, was doing a amount of cocaine and he ripped himself <laughs> up, like,
0: like Gary, like the old,
1: see, he's like, oh, we're live, yeah, yeah. We're, looking, we're live, we're <laughs> yeah. live. Like <a> zo- the <laughs> Zoom faux pause,
0: right? Uh, I thought <laughs> <while> we are in pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <That's Exactly. right. laughs>
1: And he's like, hey, is it really? well, I thought it was three o'clock. It's two what? <laughs> out of uh, uh, it's so it's
4: ridiculous.
1: I had the, the last guest was so good. To me, it's that thing of understanding the rules and the system of life, but breaking every rule to get to where you want to, you know, close the gap to where you are, to where you want to be, and just do the work no matter how you feel. Yeah. Just do the work every day and don't look for any, you know, anything. Just do the work.
0: Yeah, And for me, um, you know, the simplicity of knowing what you want and going to get by asking for help and not quitting. You know, when I lost everything, people asked me, how'd you make it back so fast? It was like, I took all the ego out of it and I just said, Hey, who do I know that can help me get back into a financial position that has the capacity of not only financial opportunity, but also financial relationships. And of boosting my ego with my own law degree and the business schools and the you know all the speaking and the big business and the Jerry Maguire bullet. It was like, I'm gonna go buy stuff and sell it for more than I buy it for, but I'm gonna go and broker million dollar deals instead of jerking myself around you know, as Jerry Maguire, so people can say, "Oh my God, I dreamed of being you." Well, that didn't pay the bills when it all went down, and I love the fact that he had Harvard, Oxford, all the all the prestige in the world, and he realized that ain't going to pay the bill. I'm going to do 232 calls and uh, get where other people want to be in 30 years from now, and in, in less than 30 days, and uh, I'm sure that's about how time I'm to make those calls. So, uh, don't lie to yourself. If you want to get something, go ask someone to help you and go get it. You don't rely on all the things that people look for and judge. Remember, there's a huge energy crisis between what I truly am and what I want people to think I am. And just because you have degrees or money or other things, that doesn't mean that you aren't what you are and that you guys are definitely the real deal. That's what this hour was about, having fun and showing our essence. Hopefully we didn't offend anyone, but this is who we are. We're having fun from around the world. Michael Unbroken in Columbia. Michael Diamond in California. The Eagle next to me in Hoboken, New Jersey. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Take a dose of positivity. Check out Michael Unbroken and check out Paradigm Shift with me and the Seagull on Saturdays. Everybody, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. Come see us. Thank
7: you. Bye, guys. Awesome.